Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello, friends. Welcome to After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni. I'm John Steele, and I'm glad you made it. I'm pretty excited about this episode, so we're just going to jump right into the good stuff. The first thing that I want to tell you is we have a Facebook page. Did you know that? If not, it's okay. It's only like two days old. Any guesses what it's called? That's right, After Four. That's After and the Roman numeral Four. So, since you're now privy to that information, how about you cruise on over while you listen to the episode and give us a like and a follow. You can watch there for new episode updates and maybe even some opportunities to win some swag from time to time. If you have trouble finding it, just take a look at the show notes. I'll post the link to it. Next bit of great news. Today, you get to hear part one of my conversation with InterVarsity Press author Erica Young-Wrights. Erica is passionate about helping collegiate leaders get the resources they need to equip students to thrive after college. We're going to hear some stories of her post-college experiences and her input on some of the big questions our alumni have been asking over the last few months. You can also check out her work with After College Transition in the show notes, so give that a look. And hey, make sure you stay tuned in to the end of the episode so you can find out how to win a free copy of her book, After College. For now, though, enjoy my chat with Erica. Erica, welcome to After Four. Thanks, John. I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited to have you. This is a first-time experience for us having an IVP author join us for our conversation. So I'm excited to hear a little bit about your book and the work that you're doing and the ways that it could benefit our listeners, our alumni. Before we do that, though, I'd love to hear a flyover of who you are, Erica. That is a big question, right? Who am I, (laughs) John? For the purpose of this, I will share that I am wife to my husband, Craig, mom of two young children, and I'm also someone who is passionate about helping young people thrive in their transition after college. That's part of what led me to write the book after college and part of what led me to start after college transition, and that's an initiative dedicated to helping people who want to equip students and recent alums to thrive in their post-college transition. So if you're listening today and you're connected to a local church, or maybe you think about your IVCF experience and think there could be more done, I'd love to connect with you further about how to continue to help young people who are in their transition. I think it's one of the most important transitions that we go through and one of the hardest. Definitely. The stories that we're hearing are ones of finding places of joy and excitement, but it is a hard transition. So it's really great that there's work that you're doing, and it's exciting to know that there's somebody that's helping develop resources for our alumni. We love our alumni so much, and we recognize that it's easy for them to have this college experience with us where we are totally focused on them, and that sometimes as we usher them out the door, it can feel like, all right, good luck out there. That's right, John. I only want to step in where I wish someone else would have stepped in in my own life. And we can talk more about that, but really even helping on the front end too. So for those who are connected to current students, preparing starts early on and often. 
when I was a campus staff, we used after college as an off-ramp for our senior students on multiple occasions. And it felt like in those places, we helped prepare them better for these next steps. It was still a hard transition, but there was preparation at least that happened in the front end. We often joke it's like premarital counseling. You can't take away the challenge of the transition, can't take away the bumps of the first year of marriage, but you can do something to prepare in advance to almost say, hey, these things are coming down the road. So here's some tools in your tool bag so you can navigate them well when the bumps do come. I'm excited to get into more of the details of this information, but first, we have a few rituals in this podcast that we invite our guests into, so I have a few introductory questions. First of all, where did you go to school and what did you study? My undergrad is from Messiah College, which is now Messiah University, and I was an English major. I was a business minor, and I quickly dropped that. I took one class, I think, on microcomputers and the internet. I don't know why I started there. That was the one class I entered, and I am completely tech challenged. I quickly dropped the business minor and did a comm minor instead. And the English major was almost an arbitrary decision. I didn't really know what to pick. So I checked a box thinking if I could graduate from college knowing how to write and how to speak well, those are some good goals. But I really had no post-graduation plan and a clear picture of my future. You said your school was called Messiah. Was there an InterVarsity chapter or any other campus ministry that was there? There were groups that went to Urbana, but to my knowledge, because it is a small private Christian liberal arts college, there was not a strong college ministry presence like there would be where I'm, I'm right near Penn State University and there's lots of thriving parachurch ministries. I don't have a strong recollection of that at Messiah, but I will say that spiritually, my experience at Messiah was a spiritual 180, but I couldn't tell you about specific IV ministry. Okay, so that means that we have another first on our show here, and that is somebody that isn't actually an IV alum themselves. And uh, John, thanks for letting me in. I just feel like, (laughs) wow, wow. You know, we certainly love InterVarsity, but we know that there's great things happening outside of InterVarsity as well. And we suppose every now and then we could let in uh, somebody that wasn't part of the club. No, I really believe that while this is very much branded as this is for InterVarsity alumni, I believe that the things that we're talking about really are relevant for people who have no experience with InterVarsity or campus ministry. And the things that we talk about on the show that almost anybody could listen in and could take away something of, oh, this is what it looks like for me to continue thriving in this season of my life. And I'm a huge fan of InterVarsity. I worked for the CCO for 14 years, the Coalition for Christian Outreach, as a college minister. And I would say that we're very much sister organizations in our value of God's multi-ethnic kingdom, the value of deep scripture study, the value of all things belong to God and working out our faith in every area of life. So huge fan of of IV and um, honored to be published within University Press too. So then you alluded to this just a little bit, but I'd like to hear more about what were your thoughts as you were a senior approaching graduation of what your next phase of life was going to be like? So I'm someone who tends to live more in the past and the present than a future-oriented person. I didn't have this big dream of what my future was going to be. I had applied to a grand total of zero jobs my senior year, and my idea of what's next was kind of the next day. I'm sleeping in the next day. I'm making banana pancakes. I just didn't really have a clear future. And at the same time, as I launched my post-college life, the life that I lived that first year out 
somehow didn't match my expectations. As a senior, I'm not sure I could have articulated what I thought the post-college experience was going to be like. All I could say was, I know that what I was experiencing wasn't it. And just so many disappointments or frustrations and unmet expectations. Are there any of those places that stand out to you as like, oh, these were some really prominent places that even if I didn't realize it wasn't meeting expectations, this was something that brought up those feelings in me? Tried to stuff that year, you know, just try not to reopen that locker. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, probably the, the most difficult thing about that year is I had my heart broken right out of college. It was probably the most significant loss I'd experienced up to that point in my life. And so trying to process that on top of my friends shifted all over the country. I moved to State College area of Pennsylvania, a place where I knew only one person, my college roommate. We were both writing majors. She said, hey, let's have a writer's house. Now, since I had no post-graduation plan, I called her and said, I'll move. But I made this move knowing not a single person. And she was spending a lot of time with the guy she was dating. So I just wasn't prepared to be a loser every Friday night, no one to hang out with. I'm like eating <laughs> reheated spaghetti and watching Survivor. And it just wasn't the picture that I had for my post-college life. And then I started leaving the area because I wanted to be around people who I felt known by and who knew me, but that created its own other challenge of not putting down roots in my area. If I could name one moment, it was probably the moment I got rejected from a credit card company. Why did I think applying for a credit card was like an adulting thing that I needed to do? It was a day I had just gotten a haircut. I got like a really bad haircut. It looked like a new age mullet haircut. It was awful. And then I get the credit card rejection thing in the mail. And it was just this moment of like, I can't do anything. I am rejected. Couldn't figure out what I was doing vocationally. The relationship thing didn't work out. I was struggling to just find community. And then when I couldn't even secure a credit card, I was like, this is just it. My life is awful. That was the moment. But there is life beyond the first year of college. There is life beyond college. And I didn't live in that moment forever. And thankfully, I had people surrounding me who breathed hope and said, there's more to this. And thankfully, I didn't get that credit card because I would have been in a way worse shape had I gotten the credit card. I mean, really your school experience from the beginning through college, and I've said this before, so people that are listening that have heard me say this before, forgive me, really for two decades, things are oriented towards you. They are set up to cater to you, to help you succeed. And then once you graduate, it's just like you step into the wilderness and there are no paths that are laid down for you, or at least it feels that way in so many ways. People aren't just holding your hand through things and that there is so much rejection after so many years of people really trying to help you succeed. It is just a jarring change to experience. I 100% agree, John. In fact, I mentioned this in the book that there was a year where Penn State had a slogan called, It's Your Time. And the slogan canvassed the downtown and remember sort of bristling at the slogan because of the very message it was sending, like, it's all about you. But in many ways, that's what the college experience, it does cater. The paths on campus, the buttons on the drink machine, it's all for you. And then you get out there and no one cares. I shouldn't say it so crassly, but there isn't the resources that are at your fingertips. Even to be able to go to office hours or the mentors, all of that is at your fingertips where right after college, it doesn't look like that. And so I was definitely struggling with all the things that I mentioned before, but also just how to launch my adult life, how to, I mean, this is being really honest, but 
how do I get an A in life after college? I was so used to a system that I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew the role that I was supposed to play and constant performance feedback in the form of grades, which I was good at. That was a thing I could do. And then I get into life after college and it's rejection after rejection, uncertainty after uncertainty. And it led me to big questions of faith and doubt in those months. Some dark, dark moments in that first year out. How did those experiences influence the path that you took to be in this place now of helping resource people who are interacting directly with students or alumni who are having a lot of those experiences themselves? Career counselor Mark Sivikas says we seek to actively master what we've passively suffered. And I know that that first year out was something that I felt I suffered and could have been different had someone intervened. Now, I have since connected with my alma mater a number of times, and they're doing so many things to prepare students for life after college. And who's responsible? Not just my institution. I was responsible too for maybe starting to make a plan for my future. But I think going back to your question, it definitely sent me on a path to be passionate about helping others not suffer from the same things I did if there are things we can prevent. And then early on, as I started in college ministry, I had a colleague approach me who said, Erica, we're hearing from all these alums and they're floundering in their faith. They're struggling in their finances. They're challenges trying to make friends. Can we do something on the front end, something that is more preventative and less remedial? And he had come out of a church in Texas a number of years ago where they had something like a senior exit program. And so when Johnny came to me, it was a no brainer. I said, yes, where do I sign? So we partnered across ministries he was with a new life ministry and I was with CCO and we worked out of the same church and for many, many years led a senior exit program, helping seniors at Penn State get the resources they need to transition out. And I'm sure it's my own lived experience as well as what I observe in college ministry, where there's so much resource going in to help onboard students into college and so little on the way out the door, as you mentioned at the start of the podcast. We need to do more in that last stretch. It's, I think, the most important part of the transition. And as you're interacting with these people, what are the experiences that you're seeing are most helpful before graduating in preparing them? I'm someone who doesn't think senior exit needs to be at every campus. You take stock of what are the unique strengths and weaknesses of our situation? What are the hopes and goals for our alums? And then how do we create into the void uh, to borrow from Mako Fujimara? Anytime we see a gap, and that's really why we created exit was because there was just this gap in the college student ministry experience. So I don't think everyone needs to launch senior exit, but I think knowing the issues that they face as well as the opportunities allows you to bake in content at different turns. Having a formal program, I think is great where you address a different topic each week or each month, like we did at exit. But I think most importantly, is bringing up the things that students are going to be struggling with most. When we got exit started, there was a young woman who said, Penn State puts so much emphasis on preparing for the job and the career, but they're not talking about the things that concern me most, like finding friends and relationships post-college. What am I going to do with my family relationships? There's things that we need to be talking about with students before they leave. And so how we get that done, I think there's so many creative ways. The other thing is creating spaces for our students to pause 
and reflect and think about that transition ahead. So I think most people would agree there's not enough spaces to just press pause. In America, we just don't do that well in general, but lacking those reflection times will put our students at a disadvantage. Those who approach transitions rather than avoid them are more likely to thrive within them, according to the research. And so we need to help students approach their transition. That makes me think of there were two seniors that I was meeting with on a regular basis in the last couple of months of their senior year on campus. And we were going through after college and we were talking through like, how are you doing? Here are some of these different things that we can discuss. How are you doing? Thinking about finances, thinking about a job, thinking about interacting with your family, building relationships, and just in general, not only looking towards the things that you will be engaging in, but how are you doing with the idea of uprooting from a place that you have known for so long and talking about both sides of that coin. And it was really interesting because there was one of these two seniors that I was meeting with every week. He was just so excited, like, oh, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to this. And then we got to one of our last couple of weeks together and asked the question again, hey, how are you doing? And in that week, this senior just broke down crying. And it was one of these very heartbreaking moments, but also one of these moments of me saying, thank God we're talking about this, that we had the space to talk through the surface level and not that it wasn't real excitement, but that that was what was at the top of, yes, I'm looking forward to this. But then to take an extra moment to pause and to say, okay, but underneath that, how are you doing with what's about to happen? And to be able to sift through the loss that they knew that they were going to experience stepping out of this university community, stepping out of his major and the people that he knew from his program and his professors and just that regular rhythm and knowing what to expect and then stepping into this totally new world. So saying that just to affirm, even just having that space available to check in a few times and what a difference that made, I think, so that he didn't just graduate and then have nobody to process those feelings with. John, that's so good. That student was so blessed to have that connection with you. And I think about this activity that we do with our students that was called the Continuum of Preparedness. And so they just rated themselves on a scale of one to five with these big posters around the room where they could go and think about how prepared do you feel to graduate? And that was how we asked the question. And inevitably, there's students who rush to number five. They're ready to graduate. Real world, here I come. I have my job lined up, senioritis has set in, and I'm ready. And then there's students who maybe they're hanging out in the one, two, or threes. And as we start to debrief the exercise, what we often find is that students sometimes reduce preparedness to a checklist of credits are in, resume looks polished, I feel ready to leave, but they may not have thought through some of those emotional impact of graduating, those deep questions that come and those things that we need to deal with as we grieve the uprooting of ourselves from a place. And some students are prepared on certain fronts, but not on others. And it's this multifaceted transition that too often gets reduced to a checklist of a few key items, as important as they are. And instead of, let's talk about how are you going to feel when your friends scatter all across the nation, when you're not meeting weekly at large group or in this Bible study? We need to help our students grieve, to do that ending well, and to show them that the emotions are completely appropriate. And we ourselves need to be able to grieve too, because our students are graduating and I love them. So it's okay for us to grieve as well. 
that's such a great perspective. You know, you think of the end of the semester, you think graduation, graduation parties, your family's coming to town, you're going out to eat after your last night of class. And it is very much this kind of celebratory mentality. And even just letting people know that in some ways, this is going to feel like a loss in the family. You are going to be grieving the loss of this relationship that you had for so long. You need to be prepared for mourning, as you said. So on this podcast, we talk to real life alumni. We ask them about what have your experiences been like post-college? And I'd be interested to hear some of your input, things that you've been learning and wisdom that you have on these topics. But then would also love to hear a few topics from your book that maybe we haven't brought up that would be helpful for alumni to listen to. So a few of the things that we're hearing coming up consistently, one, having trouble connecting to a church community, developing close relationships, frustrations with fulfillment from work. And there are several other things that have come up, but those are pretty consistent places that our conversation ends up landing. I don't know if there are any of those in particular that really set off a light bulb in your head of like, oh, let's talk about that. I have some interesting thoughts and experiences in that area, but I'd be interested to hear some of your input on those things. John, I have thoughts on, on all of those. We could talk for many hours about all these topics. I will say that probably the number one issue that I continue to hear from practitioners across the nation, as well as students in their post-college experience, is just the connection with a local church and community, finding community after college. And so I think to just encourage anyone listening today, if that has been your struggle, that you're not alone, and especially in this time of COVID where we felt extremely isolated, that we're not alone. We just need to know that right now. Connecting to a local church, I think, and this may not be the most helpful advice in this exact moment, but I do think a strong theology of place is really the starting point when it comes to finding a local church or getting connected to one. Because I think so often we move and we uproot our lives without even thinking about, is there going to be a community that I can connect to, a gospel-centered, Bible-believing church that I can connect to? And so for those who maybe are discerning a next step, or I know I have a number of friends who just finished PhD programs, and it's like, where do, where do we go next? And I have three friends who are wanting to not get out on the market because of a theology of place. And they say, I want to stay here. And maybe shooting my career in the foot, but I want to stay here because of the community that I have found. And so encouraging folks to move for a church or a community or to stay for a church or a community. Yeah, I've told my husband, I'm going to die in this house. That may sound kind of morbid, but <laughs> I'm committed to the land. I'm committed to the community. I hold all things with open hands. God could call us somewhere else. But theology of place, I think it's really important. And then I think practical things about finding a church. A father of one of our college students, this is when I was on staff, I was directing the college ministry at our local church. And it was a church that we brought in like 350 to 400 students each weekend. It was a lively place for a number of Penn State students and a great local church experience. And the dad said to me, I wish that you could sort of make the local church experience a little less positive so that it wouldn't be so hard for my son to find a church <laughs> after college because he was comparing the two. And the dad was half joking for sure. But I think when we set out to find exactly what we had before, we're going to be disappointed. 
And so helping our recent alums think through what are maybe my three to five non-negotiables that I'm looking for in a local church, take two of those away. This is a practice from friends at Geneva in the career office. They would say, make your non-negotiables with a job and then take those couple away and then be open from there. There's no two churches alike and there's no perfect church. And so eventually we have to say, we're going to commit. And I think too often we bounce around or we can't find the right fit. Or it's sort of a meh church. I don't know if I really need that. There's a lot of things the local church has gotten wrong because it's made up of people, people who are wildly flawed. And so if we're looking to discard that or to say, you know, I'm not for institutionalized religion, we're missing a big thing that Jesus talked about in the scriptures. My church is the plan. It's the plan for the hope of the world. And so recent alums, the church needs you and you need the church. And I have to preach that to myself on the days that I'm frustrated. I think every one of us could probably look at how church has handled COVID or has handled racial issues in America in the last 18 months, and we could be frustrated or wanting to step away. But I also think we need the church and that shouldn't be on the back burner. The alums I know who have succeeded in this transition and found those churches are the ones who have gone after it. Even before there's furniture in their apartment in their new location, they're looking for a local church and they're willing to say, you know, this isn't perfect, but I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to put myself out there. Very different from the parachurch ministry where everyone's probably your similar age and the similar need of looking to find and make community. So your best friend at church may be a decade or two older than you and being prepared for that multi-generational reality of church. That was very much my wife's and my experience for a number of years at a church. There was a couple that were several decades older than us. We joined a multi-generational small group and they were the ones that came beside us. We were just married and they were saying, come over for dinner, let's play some board games. And they were some of the most important relationships that we had that were key to us feeling like we were actually a part of that community. And then like you said, having a thoughtful perspective on what purpose does the church serve? How does it function? compared to my campus ministry community that I was a part of, having that appropriate thoughtfulness, how much easier then does that make it for us to make some of those decisions of, I'm actually going to choose a town and where I'm going to work based on the church community that I can be a part of. And then I'll find a job that works along with that as well. That's definitely not a perspective that I hear people talk through very often, but if we understood the purpose of the church and how God is using it as his primary function for accomplishing his purposes on the earth, how much differently would we make decisions for where we land after college? Maybe the moment today is let's all be committed to elevating our view of the local church and why it matters. I think about one of our students who I just caught up with recently, DK, David Kim, and senior year, he had three job offers on the table. One was in a place in Texas, one was in Philadelphia, and one was in Armonk, New York. You know, he's looking at the hiring packages and salaries and benefits. And I kind of took him aside and said, let's think about where are you going to thrive spiritually? You have these great offers and it's good to look at the bottom line and a nice salary is attractive. And where are you going to thrive spiritually? I grew up not far from Armonk, New York. And so I said, David, I just know from my experience, it is tough spiritual soil there. You may want to talk to this other guy, Dan Min, who just came back from church planting in Armonk. Talk to folks in Texas. Long story short, he took seriously our encouragement to consider where are you going to thrive in community? And instead of taking the job that had the greatest salary package and benefits, he took the job in Philly 
because he knew that there was a great church there that was just planted by folks who came out of Penn State University. And long story short, the job actually didn't work out. So you could take a step back and be like, you didn't pray right. You know, like, why didn't you hear from God on this? And he would say, no, I absolutely took the right job because he chose place. It allowed him to step away from that job that wasn't a right fit, couch surf for a time. He narrowed his job search then to the Philadelphia area. And he is still living there, serving in the local church, leading a Bible study with another guy who graduated from Penn State in the senior exit program. They met in our program and they're leading a Bible study for young people as they graduate. He met his now wife. He just got married a year ago. So there's beautiful stories when we choose to move for a community or even stay for a community. That book that came out not long ago, Staying is the New Going. That's, I think, also a great theology of place. That's fantastic. Anybody who's listening, there's also an episode from After Four with Steve from Normandale, who's a pastor in the Twin Cities area. And he spends some more time digging into, hey, what are the ways that recent graduates and the church can partner together to have a better relationship? What does it look like for us to thrive together rather than constantly feeling like we're at odds with each other? So I recommend if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to that episode because there's some helpful pieces in there as well from a pastor's perspective, which is really interesting to hear. So Erica, not just the idea of finding a church that you can thrive in and that you can connect to, but also finding relationships, those personal one-on-one or larger group relationships. What are some of the things that you've learned that you've experienced as far as people living in post-college world, developing relationships, whether it's inside or outside of the church? Oh, snap. That was a cliffhanger worthy of Sylvester Stallone himself. I guess that means you'll just have to come on back next week to hear more about Erica's thoughts on building relationships in your post-college world. We also dive into the idea of fulfillment at work and navigating family relationships after graduating. You don't want to miss it. Not to mention it's the last episode of the season, so you'd be crazy to skip it. You know what else? We're doing our very first giveaway. If you'd like a chance to win a free copy of Erica's book after college, follow these simple steps. Number one, go to the newly created After Four Facebook page. Number two, like and follow the page. Number three, on the post for this episode, leave a comment saying what platform you use to listen to After Four. And four, finish this statement. Life after college is... Follow those four steps, which can also be found on the Facebook post itself, and you'll be entered into a drawing to win a copy of After Four by Erica Young Writes. Winners will be selected one week after part two of Erica's interview releases. And while you're at it, don't forget to follow or subscribe, turn on notifications, and share the podcast. More good stuff to come. See you next time, alumni.